the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. You can count Vice President Mike Pence among those who were completely repulsed by Joe Biden's speech yesterday, mandating vaccines for probably an additional 80 million Americans. Mike Pence says it was unlike anything I'd ever heard from an American president. Yeah, it's because American presidents don't typically traffic and stomping all over the Constitution. Uh, Mike Pence also in the news today because he has noted that he was at the U.S. Capitol on 9-11-2001, and he has lauded and, in fact, did appear and spoke at the Flight 93 Memorial in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, a few years ago, that he believes that the citizens on Flight 93 uh, may have saved his life uh, because they were able to divert that plane from crashing into the Capitol um, by overtaking the hijackers in the cockpit, and forcing the plane down in a field. Uh, I've never been to the Flight 93 Memorial. It came about a few years after I stopped having to travel into that portion of Pennsylvania for business, but I am going to make a trip to that memorial someday because I've always been incredibly touched and moved by the decision that the citizens came to in the back of that plane that day. They had cell phones. Some of them had air phones. You remember when air phones used to be a thing on airplanes, and they knew once their plane was hijacked, they called their loved ones. Many of them did. They didn't know what was going on until their loved ones told them what had happened in New York moments earlier, and they surmised that they were probably headed for a similar fate. So they had been herded to the back of the plane by the hijackers, which, again, one of those things that bad people decide to do, but God works out for good. Uh, And they were able to vote and come up with a plan. And the plan was to storm the cockpit. There were seven crew members on the flight, 37 passengers. Uh, The most famous passenger, I would say, is Todd Beamer, who was then a, uh, like, early 30s, Uh, Dad of two, another child on the way. Uh, He and several other people on board had been athletes and uh, were strong and clear-minded. And so clear-minded, in fact, that uh, while Todd Beamer could not reach his wife, he was able to speak to uh, an operator who fielded his phone call on an air phone. And this is an interview with that operator. Her name is Lisa Jefferson. Uh, She talks about 
uh, the conversation that she had on the plane that day with Todd Beamer. When I took the call over, there was a soft-spoken, calm gentleman on the other end. He told me that there's three people that have taken over the flight. At that point, I asked him his name. He told me, Todd Beamer. He was from Cranberry, New Jersey. Did you make a conscious decision not to tell Todd about the World Trade Center? Why? Yes. Because um, I wanted him to have hope. I wanted him to think that he still had a chance. I didn't want him to feel like it was just totally hopeless and he definitely didn't have a choice and he knew he was going to die. I didn't want him to have that feeling. When he wanted to pray, was your sense then that, that he knew that... Yes, I did. I felt that he knew at that time because he had said, Oh, Jesus, help us. And then he said, Lisa, would you recite the Lord's Prayer with me? And I knew that he knew at that time that it wasn't much left for him to do. What do you think that um, this country needs to know about the men and women who were on board Flight 93? They're all heroes in my eyes. They really are. They all pitched together, and they did what they thought was the best thing to do at that time. And um, I feel that Todd played a great role in that because when he told the guys, are you ready, I assumed that they were waiting on his cue. Then they responded to him, and he said, okay, let's roll. And would you please help me welcome his wife, Lisa Beamer, here tonight. She called me that Saturday morning. I told her, I said, you have two boys, David and Andrew? She said, yes, yes, I do. I said, you're expecting your third child? She said, yes, he told you all of that. I said, yes, he did. And he wanted me to let you know that he loved you and his family very much. And I gave her a message and kept my promise. So that's an interview with Lisa Jefferson, the phone operator who took Todd Beamer's call on Flight 94. And I play that, Flight 93, I play that because, uh, A, it's very appropriate to commemorate that call on the day before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. But also because I do think there's some instructive words that we can take from 9-11 to now. You heard President Bush in there. They interspersed a mention that President Bush had when he invited Lisa Beamer to the State of the Union address. I remember George Bush, when he first addressed the nation after the 9-11 attacks, saying, freedom has been attacked today and freedom will be defended. Okay. It's easy to look at that as, yeah, that's a situation where freedom has to be defended. I don't think this situation we're in, as this tipping point, and it's a tipping point, to me, the President of the United States willfully trashing the Constitution, uh, injecting his authority into areas where he has no authority, the states and private business. I think it's a tipping point where freedom is being attacked. And so there's a necessity for freedom to be defended. Now, how do we defend freedom now? Back then, that was a dire move that the people on that plane took to defend freedom. It was their only move. First of all, they didn't have, they didn't feel equipped for the moment. We may not feel equipped for this moment. doesn't matter. The moment's here. They couldn't say, well, you know, if I'd have known, I'd have brought a box cutter on board like the terrorists have, or I'd have done, you know, I'd have brought a hammer. I'd have brought, no. They just had to make do with what they had. 
Similarly, we have to make do with what we have. So what do we have? We have our combined resolve. We have our faith in God. We have the instruction of the Bible. And we have the support of each other. Okay? We got more time. So you can think this through. You can pray this through. They took a beverage cart and used it to ram their way into the cockpit. Okay? So they improvised. Right? So we may have to improvise. I'm sure they didn't want to do what they did. We may not have to do some of the things that we don't want to do, which I would say, you know, to me, my inclination, my stubborn, uh, snarky, rebellious nature is to tell anybody who wants to force me to get tested for COVID to pound sand. I'm not sure that's the right response. In fact, I'm more and more convicted it's not the right response. Because I have to, as much as is possible, live at peace with other people. Okay, so there's that. So I just want you to get you to start thinking about, rather than just events just flying by you and thinking, oh, this isn't my moment, this isn't going to happen to me, I'm fine, you know what? You're much better off if you start, just like we talk about on all things, measured response, purposeful response, prayerful response. Think this through. You're always better off. I've always been better off in my life when I've made decisions that I knew why I was deciding to do what I did. The decisions I've made in my life that have been bad decisions and that have had a consequence, not necessarily one that can be overcome, but a consequence that's been painful at times, are decisions that I've made that I made impetuously, that I made on, you know, not necessarily gut feeling, but made uh, just like reactively, okay? So we've got a president now. Our president now is the enemy of freedom. Our president now is the enemy of liberty. The power in our country, which 20 years ago marshaled its forces, summoned its collective anger and used its commitment to the ideals of America, freedom, liberty, to motivate its actions, now is the force that is opposed to freedom and liberty and logic and totally divorces God from this situation. We don't look to you know, our sovereign creator is somebody who can bring us through this pandemic. We don't seek him out. We did then. Churches were full after 9-11. Not anymore. It's just not how our leaders respond anymore. So the long view of where we were 20 years ago and where we are now, we are unquestionably worse off. We're not worse off because we're in the midst of a pandemic. That's just kind of a manifestation of how you can view us being worse off. We're worse off in that we're not predisposed to unite anymore. We don't have shared values anymore. But first and foremost, we're just led by the wrong kind of people now. We are led by evil people. 
We are led by conceited people. We are led by people who do not treasure the foundation of the system they sit atop right now. And that's how great societies fall. So I think it's a tipping point. I think it's a Flight 93 moment for all of us. It's time to figure out how are we to respond to this very daunting situation that we face. Final segment today, Dennis Prager, top of the hour. Dennis was kind enough to visit with us here on the show yesterday at 1133. And if you would like to catch that interview, you can do so by accessing the podcast at 989theanswer.com. Click listen, then click podcast. You'll find it. Aaron podcast the show every day. We had Rob Walgate, American Policy Roundtable on the show today talking about Joe Biden's vaccine mandate efforts. Here are some numbers for you. Uh, Before we try to end the week on an uplifting, encouraging note, uh, according to Health and Human Services, uh, hospitalizations with the Delta variant raging throughout the country uh, were rising in early July, but are starting to show signs of improvement. Ah, what? Hospitalizations, which nearly tripled in July over July of 2020, uh, well, now... For the past seven days, total hospitalizations in the U.S. grew by only 2%. In fact, there were, according to the Health and Human Services Department, 134 fewer new admissions during the week of August 24th than there were the previous week. Uh, Texas and Florida account for 30% of the hospitalizations across the country. Boy, it's good they have good governors in those states. By the way, did you hear Joe Biden yesterday say any governor who won't cooperate, he will get rid of them? Um. That's not a fly buzzing around your head, Mr. President. That's like a duly elected governor. <laughs> I, I don't know whether to laugh at that or recoil from that. Get rid of them. Like, I, I suppose I shouldn't put anything past him. Uh, what are hospitalizations in the United States now compared to the height of the pandemic? Uh, they are, according again to Health and Human Services, 72% of the way to peak. So we're essentially a little less than three-quarters of where we were when it was the worst. You listen to Andrew Ginther and his uh, medical uh, wingmen earlier this week. You'd think we're overflowing, but no. Nationally, that is not the case. Hospitals across the country are nearly three-quarters full, and ICUs are about 80% capacity. I will bet you that, by and large, that is the normal population of hospitals across the country. They do not build hospitals to have beds go empty. They build hospitals so the beds are pretty much always full with some left over. So the 80% occupancy rate of ICUs and the 72% occupancy rate of hospitals does not seem out of line to me. Not a doctor, not a statistician, just saying that seems pretty normal. 62% of the U.S. population has received at least one COVID-19 vaccine and 52.7% are fully vaccinated. Gee, if Joe Biden had shut down the virus like he said he was going to do, like the inveterate bragger that he is said he was going to do, he's going to shut down the virus? Well, when you're God, or think you are, you think you can shut down the virus, but he can't. Only the one true God can, and he's not him. 
Now, I've been looking for inspiration in this bothersome week of bad news events, memories of 9-11 and the like. And I found it in the most unlikeliest of places today. Uh, This will be the first time I've ever said it, and I hope not the last, but I wouldn't bet against it, that I found a story on the Columbus Dispatch website that actually made me feel so good I reached out to someone who I had not spoken to in years to tell them how much it meant to me. It is the story of Upper Arlington rower Blake Haxton. Many of you may know Blake's story or know of Blake's story. Uh, I first met Blake shortly after he uh, returned home from the hospital in early 2009. Um, He, one Saturday morning, was a strong, bound for the U.S. Naval Academy elite rower, and he was then inexplicably afflicted with flesh-eating bacteria that put he and his family through an unspeakable period of uncertainty and pain and crying out why, and ultimately resulted in the loss of both of his legs. I've lost track with Blake over the years. I've periodically looked him up online. I knew that he had graduated from Ohio State. I knew that he had become a Paralympic rower. And I knew long before I ever saw it play out tangibly in front of me on the Internet that this young man was going to make it. And he was going to make it big. Because at the time I met with Blake Haxton, uh, it was to discuss whether or not he would be interested in having me tell his story in a book. And in the course of having a conversation with him, his father re, re, uh, reiterated to me what happened in the hospital room when the doctor came in after um, the second of Blake's legs had to be taken to keep this bacteria at bay. And Blake was drowsy from the sedatives and asked if he could speak to the doctor. And his dad did not know what Blake was going to say. Was he going to be mad, angry, livid over the fact that he now was forced to live his life with no legs? He just wasn't sure. So the doctor went over to Blake, and Blake motioned him to come closer, and the doctor bent down, and Blake whispered in his ear, I just want to thank you for saving my life. That attitude of gratitude is amazing and necessary for all of us in the midst of adversity. Um, Blake has since become um, an elite Paralympic rower. And so you can read about him in the dispatch today and be inspired by him like I was. But you don't have to be someone who achieves at a high level. Last week I was in Arizona. Uh, Last weekend. That's why I wasn't here last Friday. To have uh, the privilege, and I do mean a privilege, of seeing my father-in-law honored at the 
college where he worked for 20-some years as a business manager. They named the wing of the business building after him. He said to me during the weekend, normally they wait until you're dead to do something like this. And I said, you're right, normally they do. But they wait for people to die because they want to make sure that there's nothing in the person's background that would embarrass them for naming a building after them. With my father-in-law, there's no doubt on anyone's part that there's nothing in his background that would ever embarrass anyone. He is the most humble, gentle, yet strong, resolute man that I know. He's right there with my own dad. But he's much different than my dad. He's an inspiration to me. Inspirations come in a lot of different packages. They come in humble packages like my father-in-law. They come in Packages with no legs, like Blake Haxton. But the potential to make a difference is inside all of us. And so that's how I would challenge you in the face of all these challenges that we face today, is to find that and strive to produce that and impact others. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.